Welcome to Then and Now with Ed Stevens, President of the International Preterist Association. Then and Now is a weekly podcast designed to explore past fulfillment of Bible prophecy in order to equip us for guiding the church in its ongoing reform. And now, with today's message, here's Ed Stevens. Thanks for joining us here for another edition of Then and Now podcast where we study the Bible and history from a full preterist perspective. This session, we're going to be looking at the phrase, times of the Gentiles, as it is used in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21, verses 23 and 24. Christian Zionists have used this passage and its seemingly related passage in Romans 11:25, where it says, fullness of the Gentiles, to support their regathering to Israel, the rebuilding of the temple, and the restoration of the sacrificial system. We're going to show in this lesson how their interpretation of these two texts is erroneous. Before we get into that study, however, let's pray. Lord of all lords, who sits enthroned between the cherubim and surrounded by the prayers and praises of your creatures, We exalt you for sending your worthy Son to redeem us from our slavery to sin and death. He is our shepherd to lead us in righteousness here and to give us life everlasting in your holy presence. Help us in this study to understand your word better and apply it to our lives in such a way that it glorifies you and edifies our fellow saints. It is in the redeeming name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen. First, I want to read the text. If you have your Bible, you might want to open to Luke chapter 21, verses uh, 23 and 24, where it talks about the times of the Gentiles. And, of course, Luke 21 is one of those parallel passages that's talking about the same events as Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And notice in Luke 21, verse 23 and 24, he says, Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The pre-trib premillennialists like Randall Price and Tommy Ice and all of his good buddies Uh, connect the times of the Gentiles with the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans 11, verse 25. And, And they assert that both texts are yet future in fulfillment at a time when all Israel will repent and accept Jesus as their Messiah, so that Jerusalem and the temple will no longer be desolate, but the temple will be rebuilt, the people will be regathered into the land, and then usher in a millennium of peace, etc. So, They see the trampling as being the desolation that began at 70 A.D., not the uh, destruction that ended at 70 A.D. And we're going to talk a lot about that and show why we preterists take the position that the trampling is actually referring to that three and a half years uh, from 67 to 70 A.D., But that's the premillennial position, and you'll see this very view advocated in a lot of commentaries. Uh, I checked probably two or three dozen commentaries on my computer as well as in my library here, and I would say probably 90% of them take the position that the premillennialists do. Albert Barnes, Adam Clark, Beza, Fourfold Gospel by uh, McCarvey. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, and many others uh, take that position that the trampling in the times of the Gentiles is a reference to the desolation that began at 70 A.D. and has extended even till today. However, there are a few brave commentaries that take a different view, and that's the preterist position. And a couple of those, of course, uh, are J.S. Russell and John Bray and Milton S. Terry and... Mayer 
and Lightfoot. And I'm going to quote a couple of sections here from Mayer and Lightfoot because they're referred to by John Bray and Russell and Milton Terry. So why quote those guys when I can read the real source, right? I've got Mayer's commentary here in my library. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and read him uh, directly. Both Mayer and Lightfoot see the times of the Gentiles as completely fulfilled at 70 A.D. For instance, Mayer understands the times of the Gentiles as meaning till the time that the completion of divine judgments shall have run out. Such times of the Gentiles are ended by the parousia, which is to occur during the lifetime of the hearers. Hence, those times are in no way to be regarded as of longer duration. But here he admits that the parousia was prophesied to occur during the lifetime of Jesus' hearers. And that's a remarkable position for him to take in view of the fact that he is a futurist. But he admits that the times of the Gentiles had to be fulfilled by the time 70 A.D. was destroyed. Lightfoot, of course, is another partial preterist, but he makes a lot of preterist statements, and he does so in regard to the times of the Gentiles here. He says uh, that the times of the Gentiles ended in that first century generation that saw the signs. He says nothing could be clearer or said clearer by Jesus than that of verse 32 where he says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. He says it's strange that none of the commentaries notice this. But these very words are like a gnomon, an indicator of the meaning or interpretation or whatever. So he says, uh, verse 32 here of, of Luke 21, where it says this generation will not pass away until all be fulfilled. He says this is the gnomon, the indicator of meaning for the whole chapter, including the times of the Gentiles. And so it's very interesting. He says this in his commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraica. Uh, I think it's volume 3 here, uh, page 199. Very, very good statement. So Meyer and Lightfoot both mentioned several verses in the context as indicating the time of fulfillment, especially verses 25 through 28 and verse 32. The numerous contextual clues listed below here in our discussion clearly point to a first century fulfillment of the trampling and of the times of Gentiles. Let's look at some of these that are mentioned in these verses that we just alluded to. In Luke 21, verse 20, it says, When you see, now notice it says you, not them 2,000 years down the road. It says you. Jesus is talking to his own disciples who were alive right there listening to him speak. And he says, when you see it, not they see it, but you see it. Uh, In Luke 21, verse 22, Jesus is talking about a whole complex of events which had been predicted in the Old Testament, all of which, he says, including the trampling and the times of the Gentiles, would be fulfilled during those days of vengeance which his contemporary disciples would see in their lifetime. Now, I don't know how in the world people escape that, but it's just clear as a bell. And uh, Meyer and Lightfoot especially are pointing it out. They say that's a gnomon of the whole chapter, an indicator of its meaning. Okay, in Luke 21, verse 23 through 27, it refers to those same days of vengeance. Again, when it says that in those days, this whole group of events would occur. And he lists those out. There's nine different events mentioned in verses 23 through 27. Notice these women who are pregnant and nursing will suffer great distress. Wrath will come upon the Jewish people. They'll fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led captive into all the nations. They'll be trampled underfoot. Signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Dismay, perplexity, fear. Powers of the heavens will be shaken. They'll see the Son of Man coming. All of those events are wrapped up in a neat little package and said to occur uh, in those days and that those disciples listening to him would see all of those things and that they would occur in that generation and that the time of their fulfillment was at hand. And I think that's very significant. In uh, Luke 21 verse 28 says there's no distinction made between two different sets of events at two different time periods. And that's what we would have to say 
if, in fact, the premillennial dispensational viewpoint is correct. Uh, because if this is talking about uh, 70 A.D., which they admit there are some things in here that refer to 70 A.D., but there's other things they say are still yet future. And so if we're going to take that position, then we would have to uh, dig that out of the context. And there's no evidence here in this context that there is a distinction between two different sets of events at two different time periods. Jesus refers to all nine of the events that we just mentioned as one group of things, which he says his first century disciples would see and that it would occur in that generation. And he says in verse 28 that when they see those things, they would know that their redemption had drawn near. And notice he doesn't say that when those people 2,000 years from now see those things, they'll know that their redemption is drawing near. He says, you, you folks here listening to me, when you see these things, you'll know that your redemption has drawn near. Uh, fascinating point. And I, I don't think any of the Tommy Ice and Randall Price and Tim LaHaye and all those guys are really digging very deeply into the context. Uh, Luke 21, verses 31 through 32. The first century fulfillment of all these things, including the trampling and the times of the Gentiles. Notice he says it's uh, when Jesus says here that his contemporary disciples, the you, would see these things happening, they would know that the kingdom was about to arrive. Now, we've got numerous statements in their New Testament that the kingdom was about to arrive in their day. So if it wasn't, and of course, Tim LaHaye and Tommy Ice and Randall Price and those guys say that, that the kingdom is still future to us, uh, then they're making Jesus out to be a liar because he says that it was at hand. Both John the Baptist and Jesus preached that the kingdom of God was at hand and that it would come before that generation was dead and gone. And that's what he's saying here in Luke 21, verses 31 and 32, that his contemporary disciples, those disciples who were listening to him talk and teach, would see these things happening, and when they did, they would know that the kingdom was about to arrive. Notice also that the word fulfilled is used twice here in this context, uh, in verses 22 and 24, which are bookends. You've got a bookend on each side of this context where he talks about all these events. At the beginning and at the end, he says that these things would be fulfilled. And he tells you what those events are, and then he sums up afterward and says these events are about to be fulfilled in that time. Notice he also says the, the phrase, all things, twice. Not only does he use the word fulfilled twice, but he uses the word all things twice in verses 22 and 32. So if, if there's any doubts remaining about when these things are going to occur, and that, that's including the trampling and the times of the Gentiles as a part of those nine events that we looked at, he says at the beginning at the end that these are things that would be fulfilled. All the things that are mentioned here would be fulfilled in that generation. He affirms it with an oath. Notice he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Of course, uh, in order to get around that, the premillennialist and the dispensationalist, the futurist, have to say that that word generation doesn't mean an actual 40-year generation of people. That is talking about just the race of Jews would never become extinct until these things were fulfilled. Well, that as we all know, uh, that's not a consistent interpretation because in uh, Matthew 23, verse 36, it uses that very phrase, and even Tommy Ice admits that it means a generation of people living at the same time there. And it's the same exact expression we find here in not only Matthew 24, but in Luke 21 and Mark 13. So they're not consistent on that interpretation. Uh, it's very clear from this context that Jesus is talking to his contemporaries when he says that you, when you see these things, then you'll know that the kingdom is at hand and that all these things will take place before this generation passes away. Well, it's clear from reading Josephus and Eusebius and so many other historians of the first century and second century that these things did, in fact, occur, every one of them. And the only two things that uh, the pre-mills 
kick out of that context and say is definitely still future is the trampling, which they view as the desolation of Israel that began in 70 A.D., and the times of the Gentiles, which would be that desolation period until the temple was restored sometime off in the future. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here, and we'll see that as we look at some other instances in our Bible where that language is used so that it helps us understand uh, what it really means. As Lightfoot remarked above uh, in our discussion earlier, uh, Jesus could not have been more clear. All the events mentioned in verses 20 through 32 are summed up together by the words, all things, the things, in verse 26, these things, verse 28 and verse 31, and all things again in verse 32. So he mentions that five times in that context from verse 22 to 32, five times. That's like every other verse. He says these things, all things, the things repeatedly. And so there's no doubt about the fact that verse 24, which is right in the middle of this context, is talking about things that would occur in that generation. You can't just cherry pick this. You can't go in there and pick out cafeteria style what you want to be still future in a context like this because it's clearly talking about events, all of which, not just some of which, would occur in that generation. So, uh, the time of the fulfillment of these things is said to be in these days of vengeance, verse 22 and 23, when his contemporary disciples, notice it says you and your, they would be still alive to see it. He says you will see it. Verse 20, verse 27, and verse 31. If there was any remaining doubt, Jesus settled the time of fulfillment once for all when he said that these events, including the trampling and the times of the Gentiles, would take place before this generation passed away. So, there is no wiggle room here. Regardless of how we define the trampling in the times of the Gentiles, and there are different ways we could define those terms, one thing we cannot define out of it is the fact that it would occur in that first century generation, because that is so clear in this context. You just can't run away from it, can't get around it. Furthermore, in verse 22, Jesus says, that all the events mentioned here had been predicted in the Old Testament. Now, this raises a very interesting question. Where does the Old Testament predict the trampling and the times of the Gentiles? Now, the answer to that question is easily found when we compare Luke 21, verse 20, with its parallel in Matthew 24, 15. We'll get a real quick, easy clue as to where Jesus is drawing this language from. Notice in uh, Matthew 24, verses 15 and following, Jesus quoted Daniel as his source for the abomination of desolation. So it should be no surprise to find statements in Daniel about trampling and times of the Gentiles. And Daniel is not the only place in the Bible that we find references to those two things. Uh, Let's look at some other ones. Uh, Before we look at Daniel itself, I want to look at Lamentations chapter 1, verse 15. How many of you know who wrote the book of Lamentations? It was actually Jeremiah, the prophet. And why is it called Lamentations? You know the answer to that. Because he was lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. In 586 B.C., right after it had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian armies. And so that sets the context for us, and we need to keep that clearly in mind as we listen to what Jeremiah says here in the first chapter of Lamentations. He says, The Lord has rejected all my strong men in my midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress the virgin daughter of Judah. Now, if you have your Bible open, uh, you'll notice some words here in this verse, uh, Lamentations 1, verse 15. Notice he says, he has called an appointed time against me. Now, question, what in the world is this appointed time? What is that alluding to? I believe it's alluding to Deuteronomy 28 through 33, where Moses talked about a, a wicked and perverse generation who would arise at the time of the end who would become so wicked that God would have to bring a foreign nation who spoke a language that they would not be able to understand 
and he would bring that nation into their borders and would tread on them and utterly destroy them. He would bring upon them a time of judgment until they are utterly destroyed. Uh, and so I think that's what Lamentations is referring back to is, is Moses' prophecies of this very end of the days when God would destroy them using a foreign nation. And so that tells us what this appointed time is in the context of Lamentations one uh, fifteen. Note the past tense trodden here. The treading was not still going on after 586 B.C. when Jeremiah wrote this. The treading was something that had already been accomplished by the time Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. That treading down in 586 B.C. was an appointed time of the Gentiles upon Jerusalem. The city and the land were now desolate, but that continuing desolation was not referred to as a treading down, as Randall Price and other futurists would like to have it. The idea of treading upon Jerusalem as in a wine press by enemy Gentile nations was not new to the Jews of the first century. It had happened several times before, the most notable of which was this very destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Notice that Jeremiah even says this treading down was an appointed time. Thus, all four of the elements included in Luke 21, verse 24, trampling Jerusalem by Gentiles for an appointed time, are found here in Lamentations 1, verse 15. There's a very clear connection here between Luke 21 and Lamentations 1.15. And not only does he talk about the 586 B.C. destruction as being in an appointed time or time of the Gentiles for them to come and destroy the Jewish people, but you also see the, the phrase trodden as in a wine press. Now, Luke 21 says that they will be trampled underfoot by the uh, Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's a clear allusion to it. Uh, it's not a quote, but it's certainly alluding to that very same idea that we find here in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 15. And notice the allusion to treading a wine press. That's the same figure that's used, by the way, in the book of Revelation. And several other prophets. Isaiah talks about uh, treading the wine press and the grapes of wrath, etc. So uh, this is a very common prophetic theme. And so these motifs that are used in Luke 21, verse 24, about trampling underfoot and times of Gentiles, these are not just random things that are thrown in here just to fill space. They're using actual language and concepts and motifs that all of the prophets of the Old Testament had already used and defined clearly in their writings. So this is no surprise, but you'd be amazed at these premillennialists. They'd miss that. I have not read a single one of those pre-mill commentaries that even alluded to Lamentations 115. They all ignore it because it doesn't go along with their theory that the times of the Gentiles is something that's still ongoing today. They realize that in Lamentations it's used in a destruction context, and it is only referring to a period of judgment upon a nation, and that when that judgment is finished, those times of the Gentiles are over with. And so you can see why the pre-mills don't want to allude to Lamentations 115. It just doesn't fit their theory. Note the appointed time and the trodden ideas mentioned here in Lamentations 115. We saw these same things mentioned in Luke 21, verse 24, and it's also mentioned, by the way, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. And I think we ought to go there next. Uh, before we go to the Daniel text, I want to save the Daniel stuff till, till uh, the end here. But in Revelation chapter 11, which is talking about the measuring of Jerusalem and the temple, We'll start in chapter 11, verse 1. Then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot. Sound familiar? Luke 21, verse 24 uses that same expression. 
They will tread underfoot the holy city until the times of Gentiles are fulfilled. Nope, it doesn't say that, but it says for 42 months. That's three and a half years. But it says tread underfoot, exact same expression we find in Luke 21, verse 24. Now, that ought to send some red flags up for our good friends, the dispensationalists. But do they mention this verse in their discussion of the times of the Gentiles? No way. They don't. Why? Because it didn't work in their paradigm. And they're not about to bring it up because it would embarrass them. They'd show the fallacy of their argumentation. So, there is a lot of similarity between Lamentations 1.15, Luke 21.24, and Revelation 11, verse 2. All three texts have all four of these same elements, Gentiles, time, Jerusalem, treading. Lamentations uses those four elements in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Revelation 11, verse 2 mentions the same four things, in connection with the downfall of Babylon, the harlot city, where the meaning is very clear. The trampling was an event that would last 42 months, only three and a half years. When the Gentile armies had destroyed Jerusalem, the trampling was finished. The times of the Gentile trampling did not refer to millenniums of desolation afterwards. This leaves very little doubt about the meaning of Luke 21, verse 24. It must be a a three-and-a-half-year period also. All the things mentioned in the book of Revelation, written in A.D. 62 or 63, were about to be fulfilled. Revelation 11, verse 2, indicates that this treading of Jerusalem by unclean, abominable Gentiles would last until every last drop of blood was tread out of the winepress. The wrath outpouring was not cut short. It had to run its full course. Only when everything was fulfilled did the trampling cease and the appointed time of the Gentiles came to its end. The times of the Gentiles was that three and a half years of trampling from the time Vespasian began his assault in A.D. 67 until it was completely trodden down and crushed in A.D. 70. These were the days of vengeance when all these things were fulfilled. Notice Luke 21 verses 20 through 24 especially. Luke, Jesus told them to watch for the armies approaching Jerusalem. That would be the signal to get out of Jerusalem and Judea and flee to the mountains. That would begin the days of vengeance in which all that had been prophesied in the Old Testament would be fulfilled. So the times of the Gentiles were not open-ended, as the futurist would like us to believe. There is a definite end point given. Notice what the New International Greek Text Commentary has to say about this. Quote, There is no thought of the shortening of the period of terror, as in Mark. Instead, Luke depicts clearly what will be involved for the Jews. Some will fall by the mouth of the sword. Others will be taken captive and carried off among the nations. Jerusalem itself will be trodden down. But a limit is set to it, namely, the fulfillment of an allotted time, here called the times of the nations. End quote. This period of judgment upon the Jews would not be cut short, like it was for the church during the Great Tribulation. Jesus is saying that the Gentiles will kill the Jews, lead them captive into all the nations of the Roman Empire, and utterly destroy Jerusalem until the Gentiles had done everything to them that they had been predicted to do. The Romans indeed stayed there in the land until they utterly demolished all the fortifications and pockets of resistance in Judea. We meet up with this three-and-a-half-year time period again in Daniel 7, where the trampling idea is found three times in the immediate context. Okay, um, now let's look at some of the statements in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, I think, is where we want to look. Uh, If you have your Bible, you want to flip over there and maybe read the first 25 verses real quickly. All right, let's look at some verses in this context. So in Daniel 7, he's talking about these four great beasts, verse 3, coming up from the sea who are different from one another, and he describes each of these four beasts. Verse 4, the first is like a lion. Verse 5, another beast, the second one resembling a bear. Uh, Verse 6, the third one like a leopard. 
And in verse 7 he says, After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Verse 8, While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed the eyes like a man, mouth uttering great boast. Now, notice in verse 7, it says that this fourth beast devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with his feet. Now, what does the word trample down there mean? Uh, notice his past tense. It's not a long process here. It's talking about a very quick trampling down. Now, the trampling may have taken three or four years in the case of uh, the Romans here, which I believe is talking about. Uh, when they destroyed Jerusalem, it took them three and a half years to finally overcome Jerusalem and put down the Jewish nation completely from 67 A.D. down to 70 A.D., a period of about three and a half years. But that was not a long time. It says trample them, and it's referring to that destruction. It's not referring to a continuous trampling from that point onward for thousands of years. It's referring to the trampling that occurred in that three-and-a-half-year period when they were destroyed. And how do we know that? Well, I think we're going to see that down in the context. Notice in verse 19, it talks again about this same fourth kingdom. And Daniel is asking the angel who revealed all this to him, to explain the vision that he had just seen about these four kingdoms. He says, I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with his feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head And the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boast, which was larger in appearance than associates. Of course, it's talking about Nero, Vespasian, and Titus as the folks who actually finished off the nation of Israel. But notice it says in verse 19 that it trampled them down. It repeats that same phrase we found in verse 7, trampled. There that word is, and it's not talking about a long period of time. In the context here, in verse 7 and 19 both, it uses the word devoured, crushed, and trampled in one breath. They're all synonyms of each other. What does it mean to be trampled? Well, it's like being crushed. That wasn't a long, drawn-out process of thousands of years. It was a very quick destruction by an invading empire. Okay, in verse uh, 23 now, Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, and of course in verse 22 it talks about the Ancient of Days coming, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived. Notice that time statement there. The time arrived when saints took possession of the kingdom. Now, does that send up any red flags in your memory? Remember in Luke 21 he says, when you see all these things happening, you'll know that the kingdom is near. I suspect Jesus had Daniel 7 in mind when he said that, because he's alluding to the very same idea. But notice in verse 23 here, he says, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. We see those same three synonyms used again. Devour, crush, and tread down. And again, it's talking about the destruction of the nation. And it says there, devour the whole earth, but in the Hebrew, of course, and in the Septuagint Greek, it refers to the land. It's not the whole globe. It's referring to the land of Israel and tread it down and crush it. Okay, and then verse 25, a couple of verses down, he says, He will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the highest one. I think that's probably speaking of Nero because he did launch a huge persecution against the church in 64 A.D., and we looked in the past at that as being the Great Tribulation. But he says, He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. 
here's that same three-and-a-half-year period that we saw alluded to in Revelation 11, verse 2. Well, Daniel 7, 25 has got the same three-and-a-half-year period, and that's the amount of time it takes for him to totally crush and tread down and devour the Jewish nation. Okay, so when I think we compare this with Revelation 11, verse 2, and Matthew 24, and Luke 21, 24, and Lamentations 1, 15, I think the language is pretty clear here that we're talking about a three-and-a-half-year period, a time that it takes for a, an invading army to totally subjugate, crush, devour, and trample down a nation specifically the nation of Israel in 70 A.D. Notice that all these texts that we looked at, especially Daniel and Revelation 11, refer to this trampling event as occurring over a period of three and a half years. If Jesus was indeed alluding to Daniel, as it appears he was, then this trampling upon Jerusalem in Luke 21, verse 24, would clearly be a period of only three and a half years. For other similar uses of trampling as a short period of destruction and not as a long period of occupation or desolation, I've got a whole list of these in the uh, lesson outline, and I'll just mention them briefly. Uh, There's a bunch of passages in Isaiah 63, verse 18, Isaiah 10, verse 6, Isaiah 16, 8, Isaiah 63, 3, Isaiah 63, 6, Jeremiah 12, 10, Ezekiel 26, 11, Micah 5, 6, Luke 8.5, Revelation 14.20, and Revelation 19.15. Those are passages which use this trampling idea as a short period of destruction and not as a long period of occupation or desolation. And again, you won't find these texts mentioned in the premillennial dispensational uh, treatment of the times of the Gentiles. Uh, They don't go to those passages because it doesn't fit their theory. But the appointed time of the end... The time of the Gentiles was a time that Daniel says was appointed, and also Deuteronomy 28 through 33 mentions this time that's appointed for the end of the days. Daniel refers to that as the end of days as well, and says it's an appointed time when God's people will be utterly crushed. Or Daniel chapter 12 verse 7, completely shattered is the idea. That last three-and-a-half-year period was an appointed time of the end. It was the time when the Gentiles would come and completely tread down the Jewish nation and completely shatter them. You see this very idea mentioned in Ezekiel 30, verse 3, says the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds. The time of the Gentiles, it says, this very same phrase that we find here in Luke 21, 24. If you wanted to have an Old Testament passage where it uses that literal phrase, here it is. Ezekiel 30, verse 3, the time of the Gentiles. And he says it's going to be the day of the Lord. The day is near. It's not a long, drawn-out 2,000-year period. It's near. And it's going to be a day of clouds, a time of the Gentiles, a time of the nations. And he, in the context, it's very clear that he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., which was a similar three-and-a-half-year period of judgment, just like it was in 70 A.D. A time of doom for the nations, it says. And it talks about, uh, in this particular context, a time of doom not only upon Jerusalem, but upon Egypt, Ethiopia, Put, Lud, Arabia, and Libya at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And when you compare this with Jeremiah 27, verse 7, it's even more clear that it's referring to a short period of judgment upon a nation. In Jeremiah 27, verse 7, notice it says there that all nations, not just the Jewish people, but all nations shall serve Nebuchadnezzar and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Now, what in the world is that saying? What happened to Belshazzar? He saw the handwriting. The kingdom was taken away from him. And notice how Jeremiah refers to that. He says, until the time of his own land comes. The time, that appointed time, the time of the Gentiles came to his own land. And then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. Speaking of the Medes and the Persians taking over Babylon and making it their slave. 
Very interesting, though, that Jeremiah 27, verse 7, uses that phrase, until the time of his own land comes. Very similar to what we're looking at here, the time of the Gentiles. Babylon got to have their own day of judgment come upon them. Their time came. Well, that's what Jeremiah is saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Your day is coming. Your time is coming. Also, Mark 13, which is a parallel text to Luke 21 and Matthew 24, Mark 13, verse 33 says, Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. Notice it again mentions that appointed time or time of the Gentiles idea. And Jesus there in Mark's account at least uh, refers to that very time of the Gentiles as the appointed time that will come. Very similar to Jeremiah 27, 7 and Ezekiel 30, verse 3. Time of the Gentiles. In my study for this lesson, I went through a lot of stuff. I have the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran Bible and the Talmud, the Midrash, the Zokar, Josephus, Philo, the Pseudepigrapha, the Apocrypha, the Septuagint, the Targums, Yosipon, and, of course, the Old Testament writings in Hebrew, Greek, and English. So I can search all those, not only in English, but in Greek and Hebrew as well. And I scoured all of those for this phrase, uh, time of the Gentiles, and I didn't find many references to it, but I found enough, and we've looked at most of them here, but I found enough, I think, that, that it helps us see what this phrase really means. And I did not find a single phrase anywhere in a context where it meant a long duration of time, like the pre-mills say it is. Uh, not a single one of these references that I found ever refer to it as a long, drawn-out period of occupation or desolation until a restoration occurs 2,000 years later. It just doesn't have that meaning in any of the context. Every one of these phrases that we found in the Old Testament use it in the sense of a short destruction, an invasion of an enemy coming into their nation, treading it underfoot, and destroying it, crushing it, and devouring it in a very short period of time, such as three and a half years. I did find a Targum, and of course a Targum is uh, an Aramaic paraphrase of Old Testament Scripture. It's kind of interesting to see how the Aramaic paraphrase of Lamentation 1 verse 15 reads. It's a little bit different, and in some ways better than what Lamentation says. Notice it says, The Lord has crushed all my mighty ones within me. He has established a time against me to shatter the strength of my young men. The nations entered by the decree of the Mimrah of the Lord and defiled the virgins of the house of Judah until their blood of their virginity was caused to flow like wine from the wine press when a man is treading grapes and grape wine flows. A very interesting paraphrase. I mean, that was a that was what you would call the expanded translation. Uh, it's about twice the length of Lamentations one fifteen in our Hebrew text. But very interesting because he talks about it as a time. He has established a time for the nations to tread Judea like a man treads the grapes and makes the grape wine flow. Also, one of the other interesting sources I found was in the. Uh, Qumran documents, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, in one of the war scrolls uh, documented here in our lesson outline, 1QM15-1, it says, For it is a time of distress for Israel, an appointment for battle against all the nations. And there we see this time of distress, which was an appointed time for battle against all the nations. So we've got Gentiles there. And it's a battle against the nations, the Gentiles, and it's going to be a time of distress. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking at here in Luke chapter 21, a time of the Gentiles, an appointed time uh, when the Gentiles would wreak havoc on them. And it says here, the purpose of God is eternal redemption. That's a part of this quote from the War Scroll. This is an extremely interesting passage from the War Scroll describing the apocalyptic end-time war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. 
Notice that this war will be an appointed time of distress for Israel when all the nations will come against her for battle. Notice the reference to the appointed time and the Gentile nations. Both of these elements are found in Luke 21, verse 24. This war scroll predates the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. It shows that the phraseology in Luke 21, verse 24 is not exclusive to the Christian scriptures. It was used independently by Essenes and other Qumranian groups in the first century and earlier. Also, there's a statement from Yosipon, which I think is interesting as well. In quoting one of the speeches of Titus that's speaking to the zealots, talking about how the Romans had conquered all other peoples and how it was vain for the Jewish zealots to think that they could overpower the Romans. So here's what Titus said to them. Did not Hannibal, king of Carthage, go with all his force, invade and trample our land, destroying our fortifications and annihilating the mass of our troops by sword, he and his army? He besieged us for many days, as we have done unto you. And after all this, we captured him. Now, uh, notice this statement here that comes from Yosipon uses the trampling idea in reference to a short-term invasion and destruction, and not in reference to an extended desolation period of time. So it's interesting that uh, this is how Yosipon uses that term. And this is a Jewish source, of course, and based on first century history, first century Jewish usage. Also in 1 Maccabees 4.60, it says, At that time, also they builded up the Mount Zion with high walls and strong towers round about, lest the Gentiles should come and tread it down as they had done before. And, of course, this is a reference to Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. when they had tread down Jerusalem and its walls before. Notice this uses also that trampling idea in reference to a short-term invasion and destruction and not as an extended period of desolation. So here again we have another Jewish source. we got Yosipon and Maccabees as well as the Qumranian scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, all three of which are Jewish sources showing how they used that word trampling and time of the Gentiles. Okay, there's only one other reference here that I want to read for you, and I think it's in the book of Enoch. There was a similar Greek phrase about the treading in First Maccabees 4, verse 60, uh, but... I don't think the treading is as big a deal as the time of the Gentiles. That's where I want to focus. And we've looked at most of those texts. Uh, One more that mentions the treading is Enoch 99, verse 2. And if you have the R.H. Charles edition of the book of Enoch, uh, it's found found on page uh, 141. Enoch 99, section 2. In his section on the admonitions for his children, he says, Woe to them who transgress the eternal law, they shall be trodden underfoot upon the earth. So here again we see many statements in and outside the Bible which refer to this trotting underfoot and the times of the Gentile nations coming to destroy the Jewish people. The times of the Gentiles is speaking about the war with the Romans in which the Jews would be conquered, killed, evicted, and dispersed just as Moses had predicted in Deuteronomy chapters 31 and 32. It seems that Jesus might have had Deuteronomy 28-33 through 33 in mind when he predicted the appointed time of trampling by the Gentiles. In Deuteronomy 28-33, through 33, where Moses predicts the final generation of Jews who would be covenantally judged, there is a constant repetition of the phrase, until you are destroyed, or until he has destroyed you, or until... They have caused you to perish. Notice especially the usage of these phrases in Deuteronomy 28, verses 49 through 52, as well as this other list of texts that we have here in the outline. Note that there is no mention of treading 
or Jerusalem or any appointed times in Deuteronomy 28 through 33. But it does mention Gentiles coming into their land and attacking them in the last days until they were utterly destroyed. This is closely related to what Daniel said about the Gentiles trampling a complete end, an appointed time, and a complete shattering during the time times and half a time. The Gentile nations trampled on Jerusalem until they were destroyed or completely shattered or until the Gentiles fulfilled everything that was prophesied for them to do or until the destroying times of the Gentiles be completed. This was a common idea used in the conquest of nations. Don't tread on me was well known to mean don't bring your armies into my borders. Don't invade my land. Do not trespass, in other words. According to Moses, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, God would use foreign armies, whose language you will not understand, to tread up and down throughout the land, just like they had originally done in their conquest of Canaan. Except in Canaan, the Jewish armies marched from the south up to the north, whereas the Roman armies marched from the north down to the south. They undid what the Jews had done originally, in reverse order, until the Jewish strongholds everywhere in the land were completely dismantled, the last of which was Masada. This occurred in A.D. 66 through 73. Luke 21 verse 24 was definitely fulfilled at that point. Daniel 12, verse 7, mentions a complete shattering, appointed end or time of the end. In the parallel accounts of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Jesus connected the prophecy of Daniel in regard to the abomination of desolation with this very desolation mentioned in Luke 21, verse 20. So, we need to see what Daniel had to say about this desolation. According to Daniel 2, verses 44 and 45, during the days of the fourth kingdom, which was Rome, God would set up his eternal kingdom. Notice in Daniel 7:19 and 7:23 that this fourth kingdom, or beast, which is Rome, would have teeth of iron and would trample down the whole land. Then notice in Daniel 7:25 how long this trampling would last for a time, times, and half a time, that is to say, three and a half years. These are the times of the fourth beast trampling the land. That is exactly what happened in A.D. 67 through 70. The Romans under Vespasian, beginning in A.D. 67 and continuing with Titus until A.D. 70, trampled the whole land from Galilee to Judea, and fulfilled all these predictions of Daniel, which Jesus and Luke are referring to here in Luke 21. Daniel talks about a complete end, when the holy people are completely shattered. Moses predicted such a complete end of a perverse and crooked generation of Israelites in the last days of their national existence, when their enemies would attack them until they were completely destroyed. See Deuteronomy 28 through 33. The times of the Gentiles, here in Luke 21 verse 24, sounds very similar to the complete shattering mentioned in Daniel 12 verse 7. Daniel refers to it as an appointed time. It was when the Romans came and trampled underfoot the whole land of Israel, and especially Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. They finished treading on the Jews by 73 A.D. when the temple structure was completely dismantled and the walls of Jerusalem were torn down and all the fortresses in Judea were conquered. Conquest of Israel by Rome was complete. Israel was completely shattered. Therefore, this treading and times of the Gentiles is a reference to the Old Testament prophets such as Daniel, who predicted this time of complete shattering and judgment upon Israel. Consequently, we can now see that Luke 21 verse 24 cannot be talking about the same things as Romans 11 verse 25, where it talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. These two texts are talking about 
respectively, the times of the Gentiles destroying the Jews in AD 66 to 70, which is found in Luke 21 verse 24, versus the fullness of the Gentiles, which occurred during the transition period when the Gentiles were brought fully into and incorporated into the Jewish church, as it says in Romans 11 verse 25. And so Luke 21 verse 24 is a Jewish judgment context, while Romans 11.25 is a Gentile salvation context. They're talking about two different things. John Bray agrees that they are talking about two different things. He says, quote, One is talking about the duration of time during which Gentiles have control of Jerusalem. The other is talking about the performance and completion of what God is doing for the Gentiles spiritually. These are two separate things altogether. End quote. This is found in John Bray's book, Matthew 24, Fulfilled, uh, page 105. Times of the Gentiles, that is, God's use of Gentile armies to judge Jerusalem, was fulfilled in AD 70. However, the full number of the Gentiles, that is to say, the Gentiles who were to become Christians before the passing away of the Old Covenant, was also, by God's election and providence, fulfilled before the parousia began in A.D. 66. The fullness of the Gentiles here in Romans 11.25 was when the Gentiles were fully grafted into the church, accepted as being on equal footing with the Jewish Christians. Paul labored hard to accomplish this incorporation of the Gentiles so that both Jew and Gentile are one body in Christ. See his statements about this in Ephesians 4. According to his statements also in Colossians and Romans, it appears that he indeed accomplished that task of getting the Jewish Christians to accept the Gentile Christians as joint heirs of the coming kingdom. His trips to Jerusalem with Gentile offerings helped smooth the way for Jewish Christians to accept the Gentiles. His epistles, which argue forcefully for Gentile inclusion in the kingdom, were finally canonized by Apostle Peter in A.D. 64, when Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that our beloved brother Paul, as he wrote to you in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. And so Peter accepted Paul's writings as canonical there in that statement when he compares them to the rest of the scriptures. And that shows that by 64 AD, the Jewish church, headed up by Apostle Peter, had accepted the Gentile Christians as fellow heirs in the kingdom. So it appears then that the fullness of the Gentiles had arrived just before Jerusalem was destroyed. Thus the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 verse 25 is talking about the incorporation of Gentiles into the church during the transition period from AD 30 to 70. The fullness of the Gentiles found its completion in AD 64, two years before the war broke out. The kingdom was taken away from the unbelieving Jews and given to the righteous remnant of believing Jews into which the believing Gentiles had been grafted. That process began in earnest with the conversion of Apostle Paul and gradually advanced throughout the transition period as all the apostles authorized his sharing the gospel with the Gentiles without forcing circumcision and law-keeping upon them. It was Apostle Paul's ministry and his missionary journeys which stimulated this Jew-Gentile solidarity. Believers from all the nations of the diaspora had to be brought into the fullness of the kingdom before the kingdom was taken away from the disobedient and unbelieving Jews and given to this new nation producing the fruit of it, which was composed both of the righteous remnant of believing Jews plus the engrafted believing Gentiles. Thus, in this way, all Israel was saved, just before Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Roman armies. 
Well, in conclusion, one may legitimately ask when the trampling was supposed to begin and end. If it did not begin until AD 70, then certainly the futurists have a strong case. However, I think the evidence we have considered here shows that the trampling was fulfilled in those days of vengeance and wrath outpouring in AD 66 to 70. Milton S. Terry sums all this up rather nicely in his biblical hermeneutics. He says, quote, The statement in Luke 21, verse 24, that Jerusalem shall be trodden down by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, is supposed to involve events which did not take place in that generation. The times of the Gentiles are assumed to be the times and opportunities of grace afforded to the Gentiles under the gospel. But to understand the words in this sense would be, as Van Osterzee observes, to interpolate a thought entirely foreign to the context. The times of the Gentiles, says Bingle, are the times allotted to the Gentiles to tread down the city. But there is nothing in the passage or context to authorize his further remark that these times shall be ended when the Gentiles' conversion shall be fully consummated, and that the treading down by Romans, Persians, Saracens, Franks, and Turks is to be understood. These times are manifestly times of judgment upon Jerusalem, not times of salvation to the Gentiles. The most natural and obvious parallel is Revelation 11:2, where the outer court of the temple is said to be given to the Gentiles, by whom the holy city shall be trodden down 42 months, a period equivalent to the time, times, and half a time of Revelation 12, verse 14, and of Daniel 7, verse 25, and 12, verse 7. This is a symbolical period of judgment, but does not denote ages and generations. It is three and a half, a divided seven, a short but signal period of woe. The times of the Gentiles, therefore, are the three and a half times, approximating three and a half years, during which the Gentile armies besieged and trampled down Jerusalem. End quote. Well, it's abundantly clear from all these canonical and non-canonical texts that the trampling and times of the Gentiles mentioned in Luke 21, verse 24, are referring to a very short period of time, such as three or four years, in which an invading Gentile army would tread throughout the land of Palestine, destroy all of its fortresses, and completely shatter the nation of the Jews. We do not find any text which define the times of the Gentiles as a long, indefinite period of desolation lasting centuries or millenniums. The times of the Gentiles lasted the same length of time as the trampling, and we noticed in several texts that the trampling was used in a past tense, trod or trodden, referring only to the battle which ended in defeat and not to the subsequent period of desolation which followed. In view of all these texts that we have examined in relation to Luke 21, verse 24, it appears that the futurist idea of a long period of trampling and indefinitely extended times of the Gentiles is simply not supported by the evidence. These words were well understood by Luke's readers and definitely reflected concepts and motifs found in the Old Testament, especially the book of Daniel, which talks about an appointed time of the end which had to be fulfilled. Every indication within the Luke 21 context is that this time of trampling by the Gentiles was something that would occur within the lifetime and experience of his listening disciples. J.S. Russell, in his book, The Parousia, notes this as well. He says, Here, the prophecy and the parable represent the selfsame scene, the selfsame period. They alike speak of the close of the aeon or age, not of the end of the world or material universe. And they alike speak of that great judicial epoch as at hand. How plainly does St. Luke, in his record of the prophecy on the Mount of Olives, represent the great catastrophe as falling within the lifetime of the disciples? 
And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Luke 21, verse 28. Were not these words spoken to the disciples who listened to the discourse? Did they not apply to them? Is there anywhere even a suspicion that they were meant for another audience thousands of years distant, and not for the eager group who drank in the words of Jesus? Surely such a hypothesis carries its own refutation in its very front. Well, the times of the Gentiles mentioned here in Luke twenty-one twenty-four is merely referring to the trampling process of the Roman invasion and conquest of Judea, which lasted three and a half years. In that effect, it is saying that the Gentiles will trample the land for a time, times, and half a time. That is to say, the times mentioned by Daniel and fulfill everything that was predicted by Daniel and all the Old Testament prophets. The times of the Gentile trampling mentioned by Daniel would be fulfilled when all the things mentioned here in these five verses, Luke 21 verses 20 through 24, have come to pass, specifically when Jerusalem itself was finally destroyed. When the Gentile armies of Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, then their times, their three and a half years of trampling, were finished. The Gentiles had trampled upon the land until they fulfilled all the things that had been prophesied for them to do. They did not leave one thing undone that the prophets had predicted. The appointed time of destruction was fulfilled to the maximum by the time Jerusalem was trodden underfoot and completely shattered in A.D. 70. Well, that will do it for this time. Hope that was helpful for you. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Then and Now with Ed Stevens. We would love to hear from you. Send your email to preterist1 at preterist.org. Our website has many great articles, books, and audio-video resources. The address is www.preterist.org. This teaching ministry depends on your donations, and you share in all the good fruit that we produce. To make a donation or support monthly, simply go to our website, www.preterist.org, or call us at 814-368-6578. Join us again next time for Then and Now, where we study the past to shape a better future.